Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. doing Bermuda Triangle today. We're back to triangles. Yes, our, the, the, the official shape of It's Probably Not Aliens. <laughs> That's true. We're back to triangles, but this time it's not, it doesn't feel like it's a three-dimensional triangle like no. the triangle buildings. This is more of a flat sort of, it's like an idea of a triangle. Yeah, like what if triangle but water? A wet triangle. It's true. All right. I think we're on to something here. Did you know that Scooby-Doo traveled to the Bermuda Triangle once? Of course he would. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that uh, it seems that Scooby-Doo and crew always wound up in all of the things that were sort of hip in like the early 1970s counterculture. It's so weird, right? Yeah. They also did Loch Ness Monster once. That was fun. We got to do that on this show, I bet. Sure. I mean, if only if that ties in with aliens. We can't just do cryptids. If we can keep employed with this podcast, we can go on forever. Uh, Juniper. Juniper. Her, the um, the person who sent us a book a little while back. Yeah. She apparently works in a used bookstore. And now when unsellable crank books come through, she's going to send me some. <laughs> so um, uh, she got me an MK Ultra book. Oh, wow. About CIA mind control programs. So I don't know. That's not alieny, but it's super fun. Yeah. Heck yeah. Plus also, I got another Von Daniken. In Search of Ancient Gods. Yeah. In Search of Ancient Gods. He's done a lot of books. We've mm-hmm. talked about him a lot. You can tell this one is an original because the spine is broken. Oh, no. I thought Eric Von Daniken had a, was all about having a big, strong spine, that guy who just goes out into the world and just says whatever with no consequences. I mean, if you think about it, he is all confidence. Yeah. Extremely confidence. His D&D character chart is just min-maxed to the extreme of just charisma, it feels like. Mm -hmm. So, um, podcast, are we recording a podcast right now? Yeah, sorry. We were, we talked about triangles and then we sort of got off topic. We're talking about triangles again today, everyone. Yeah. Not that this is a geog, geolog, geog, what's the word I'm looking for? Geometry. Geometry, yeah. Not that this is a geometry podcast. Or trigonometry, the the triangle-focused math. Oh, no. No, this is a podcast called It's Probably Not Aliens, where we dive into the depths of ancient astronaut theory, ancient aliens, the TV show, all of this sort of uh, pseudo-archaeology, pseudo-history, pseudo-science. And we look at it, we go, huh, that's an interesting idea, but here's... What actually happened? Yeah. And when I say we, I don't mean me because my name is Scott. I am the co-host of this podcast that knows nothing. I come here completely unprepared. It's the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I'm Tristan Johnson. Every week I, in a larval state, just uh, devour as much information about a topic as possible. And then after a brief time in a chrysalis, I come out mm-hmm. as a fully formed adult spewer of disturbing information to make Scott every week think, oh, people believe this now. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting about your metamorphosis is that people don't pick up on this because this is a audio only podcast, but it is messy. When you Mm -hmm. do that, because we do this over like a video call and you don't bother cleaning up after you break out of your chrysalis. And there's like goo everywhere. And there's like I'm meaning to talk to you about it. It's echo absorbing goo. 
is the thing. Oh. Like it's it's sort of like a, a biomechanical process of like that uh, that black foam that every Twitch streamer has on their walls. So it serves a purpose. It's practical slime. Yeah, it's practical slime. Listen, the lifespan of whatever species it is that I am aside, I am the alien who does UFO disinformation to convince the sheeple that aliens haven't visited Earth and that all of these very true claims by the closest person to ever get onto our trail, Eric Von Daniken, the official mm-hmm. nemesis of It's Probably Not Aliens, to discredit him and slander him in the internet. Yes, please. So today we're looking at what triangle. We're looking at the wettest triangle of all time. Move aside pyramid head. Mm-hmm. The wettest of triangles. Uh, but yeah, today we're talking about a classic. We've kind of touched on it briefly when we talked about ley lines and uh, world grid theory. Yes. And uh, the vile vortices. Yeah. But today we're talking about a classic of paranormal, supernatural UFO phenomenon. We are talking about the Bermuda Triangle. What? All right. So here's the thing. When I was younger, I was very much obsessed with the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, so should be old hat to you then. Well, when I was younger, as we've established now, I am no longer a young boy as I have turned 30 now. So all of those memories are faded and dusty to me. So I don't remember much. I think I remember how the general concept of the Bermuda Triangle was created, which I believe involves airplanes of some kind. Oh, yeah. So we'll we'll get into that. But I'm, I'm excited to sort of see how ancient astronaut theorists tie this in with aliens, I imagine. Okay, so bunch of stuff. There's something spooky in the waters in the east of the United States. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know what the Bermuda Triangle is, give us a refresher. What's it about? Essentially, it is a triangle between the points of, well, the points shift depending upon who writes about it. Oh, okay. But but basically, (laughs) uh, if you were to draw a triangle between uh, San Juan, part of Puerto Rico, the island of Bermuda, and Miami, you have a triangle of water that, according to paranormal lore, a suspiciously high amount of ships and airplanes have mysteriously gone missing. Mm-hmm. Now, what yes. is in this triangle? Is it a portal to another dimension? Maybe. As most people believe. Or is it something much more sinister and that there is an underwater UFO base (gasps) where the aliens of some kind uh, have their underwater base of operations for spying on mankind, including... And I don't know if this is ever going to become an episode because I keep trying to find articles on it and I cannot. Apparently, Christopher Columbus might have been in the Bermuda Triangle and saw a UFO sighting. Okay. All right. That's a real juicy one that I'm like, I'm hoping I can get enough together to make a video about it or an episode about it. But um, Mm -hmm. it does seem that ancient aliens just said something. And that's it. And I'm like trying mm-hmm. to find it, uh, what who they're trying to cite here. I love that stuff. You know, what's great about that theory is that if we break ground on that, I think we'll finally have something that Christopher Columbus was uh, wrong about and bad about. Oh, finally. I think we'll finally have something that will make people go, mm, I don't know about this guy. Yeah, maybe they'll finally think about taking down some of those statues. Maybe. One can hope. Yeah, this is the episode on the Bermuda Triangle. Is there spooky water just off the coast of the United States that makes things go missing? <laughs> spooky water. Yes. I'm excited. I'm excited. I feel like the Bermuda Triangle is one of those things that's been like referenced in all kinds of pop culture as like a really mysterious place. And I do remember seeing like actual documentaries on like TV, whether they were on the History Channel or maybe the Discovery Channel or something when I was younger about them trying to get to the bottom of like, why do so many ships and planes disappear in this area? Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to learn. And like all scary and unexplainable stories, we're going to begin in Florida. No! I'm just going to tell you one of the most famous stories of the Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. So what happened was two TBM Avenger torpedo bombers disappeared on December 5th, 1945. Oh. They lost contact with the U.S. Navy trying to do a training flight from the Naval Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Mm. 14 of the airmen went missing. And furthermore, 13 crew members of a boat that was sent off to find them afterwards went missing. And to this date, the description of what happened to these people 
is Cause Unknown. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. This is the story that um, started the Bermuda Triangle mythos. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Now, if memory serves, it was a triangle because that was sort of where the points they were flying to or from these like planes and such. Could be. It was a training flight. But uh, basically, if you just take three points uh, and put lines between them, you're going to end up with a triangle, right? That is true. That is how you make a triangle. Yeah. And it, what's interesting <laughs> is that, yeah, as I said, this triangle shifts depending upon who's writing about it. Sure. So, like, I guess we should probably start at the beginning of, like, where did this story originate? Yeah. What was the first Bermuda Triangle story? And it comes from a description from an article in 1950 in a newspaper called the Miami Herald. Okay. It was written by a guy named Edward Van Winkle Jones, which I think will be the next name of my next D&D character. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> now... Basically, this article was not super dramatic. It just said that there was suggestion that in this area, specifically in the area around Bermuda, a suspicious amount of disappearances. Isn't that weird? Yeah. But then it got picked up by Fate Magazine, which is a magazine about oh. paranormal phenomenon. Okay. And in that article, a guy named George Sand wrote with the headline, Sea Mystery at Our Back Door. Oh, mm -hmm. and in this article, he wrote about the loss of all the planes and ships, including Flight 19, which is the story we mentioned earlier. Yep. And it was the first article to lay out that it was a triangle mm. and the first suggest that it was supernatural in nature. Oh, yeah. All right. I guess at that before then, everyone was just like, I don't know. Anything going to happen. Lots of ships go missing here. That's weird. That's just strange. Could be mm -hmm. any reason. And then this guy's like, oh, it's I, I'll sell you on something. It's it's wild what happens in this soggy Dorito. Yeah, uh, that was my nickname in the business when I was younger. Soggy Dorito. Soggy That's Dorito. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, but then it kind of went silent for a while until mm -hmm. 1962. Two, when Flight 19 would come up again in American Legion magazine, in which a guy by the name of Alan Eckert wrote that the flight leader had reportedly said that they're entering white water. Nothing seems right. We don't uh -oh. know where we are. The no. water is green. No Wait, white. What? It was changing color so quickly. Yeah. And then also wrote that some uh, people on the Naval Board of Inquiry said that the planes, quote, flew off to Mars. Ooh. I don't. I mean, you know, I'm one to like sort of believe the conspiracy stuff like as, as part of the bit here. That <laughs> does just seem like a turn of phrase, though, right? Like, I don't think anyone was being literal when they were like, they, they flew off to our sister planet, Mars. I think it just meant that they disappeared. Are gone. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah. But any, yeah, but you know what? I'll just, oh, yeah. They, they're at, they're Martian planes now. Ooh. But the other idea is that white, green water, no trace of these planes were ever found. That's something interesting. And then that sort of telephoned into the next article, which came out in 1964 by a guy named Vincent Gaddis in, mm -hmm. quote, the deadly Bermuda Triangle, which found its way into Orgosi, which is a pulp magazine, which, uh, okay. Scott, I know you're kind of a, uh, you probably know a little bit about early oh. American publication. What is a pulp magazine? A pulp magazine. I've got a whole box of them sitting a couple feet from me. They call it pulps because they're incredibly cheap, right? They're printed on the cheapest paper possible that can even just carry ink, basically. They are publications, largely just like written stories with some really cool cover, like artwork on the on the covers. And they are designed very specifically to get your attention with the most ludicrous story ideas and concepts, whether it's violence, whether it's sci-fi, whether it's horror. They are specifically to just be effectively like trash reading that you would, you know, they're interesting, they're lurid is a word that I like to use to describe them, but they were never sought as like a, a high fancy publication but yeah just sort of like flashy reading material and typically fiction right yeah, oh yeah yeah for sure 
I, although like, you know, you, you know, we were talking down about it. It also, um, just like you remind everybody that it was also the sort of incubation place for a lot of uh, no. popular stuff. Like it was where science fiction was really born. It's where comic Absolutely. books were basically born. Um, 100%. I mean, there's a reason like I have Lovecraft them. basically started as uh, as uh, as pulp authors, as well as like, um, like yes. almost every, like uh, Isaac Asimov, I believe, Asimov, started in yeah, the pulps. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why I have a box of them. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not trying to like uh, look down on them. This is just how they were viewed at mm-hmm. the time. They were, they were this like very sort of trashy media that were very cheap, just attention grabbing. But they're really interesting. Like I said, the covers are really beautiful. The stories inside, again, like you were saying, like had some uh, fantastic authors who were spawning all these really interesting ideas. Yeah, they're they're great. But at the time, they were not like seen yeah. as like if, if, you, if you were reading one, it wasn't like, a oh, you know, look at you, Mr. Fancy Reader over there. But for a lot of things, it was like the nascent incubator for the genres of like science fiction and yes. horror and stuff like that that are like mainstream, you know, genres of fiction today. Absolutely. So that it's kind of showed up in the 1960s, which is actually kind of a late pulp magazine, but you know. Yeah, a little bit, huh? Yeah. But also, yeah, focusing on the disappearances and strange events, starting to put more things together. And they elaborated and they mentioned uh, new stories like John Wallace Spencer, who went missing in 1969, or Charles Berlitz, uh, who wrote about the Bermuda Triangle in 1974, or Richard mm. Weiner, who wrote The Devil's Triangle in 1974. And all of them sort of huh. took the Eckert story and elaborated yeah. on them. And so, so in many ways, the Eckert story uh-huh. was then like, you know, sexed up for the pulps by Gaddis who was then taken by all of the sort of major books writing about the Bermuda Triangle and yeah. and built upon. So we can start to see a, a lineage of the of the mythology of the Bermuda Triangle, where it starts and how it starts building. And this happens a lot in Ancient Aliens, as well as a lot of these things where there is a switching over from fiction to nonfiction mm-hmm. stuff. Yep, 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 yep. It is also interesting to me that, and I mean, this has happened a couple of times, I feel like on this show and also just in general, as I've been researching things, and I'm sure as you've been researching things in your own work, but like, it is interesting to me that like the sort of inciting events happened like decades before. And then suddenly there's like this spark. I mean, you were talking about all these people that started writing about it and it's all like late sixties, early seventies when like the inciting event was like in the fifties. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's just, it's so interesting how it like takes a little bit of time for people. And then suddenly everyone's like, Ooh, this is an interesting idea now. Cause I believe, I believe there was even a 1970s, like wonder woman comic that had her do some stuff in the Bermuda Triangle. So it's like, it's so weird that some, something about this specific time period, everyone's like, all right, now let's talk about it. Now let's make some fun stories about it. We also noticed that there's a lot of like the event happened in 1945, then it got written about in 1950. And then right. in like the 60s and 70s is when it got like really written about. I think it has yeah. to do with a lot with um, the counterculture and like um, the spiritualist movement, and all that kind of stuff. There was a big, as I said, Scooby-Doo came up in this time, too. And it was also mm-hmm. driven by this interest in the paranormal and, yeah. uh, and and stuff like that. So like there was and that was also when parapsychology was a thing like you could take classes in that at school at one point and like noetic science and all that kind of stuff so like there was this really big interest in like the late 60s early 70s with the paranormal and there you go there's your there's your scooby-doo connection there's a scooby-doo because scooby-doo definitely leaped on that as well and uh as you talked about in your video on ancient aliens a lot of comics in that period were also taking these ideas i believe the early 70s is when we saw dr strange uh We saw the Eternals. Yeah, Jack Kirby was super into this sort of stuff. I mean, and Steve Ditko, obviously, too, with with Doctor Strange. They were all nerds, yes. (laughs) They were all big nerds. That's true. Um, Just like the whole thing about how it seems like many Marvel superheroes are just Stanley learned one fun fact and he was like, what if I turn that into an entire superhero? <laughs> like, did you know that he learned at one point in like a National Geographic that spider silk has like the tensile strength of steel? And he's like, mm. or he learned that uh, if you were to comparatively measure strength, an ant would be a hundred times stronger than a human. Yeah. And he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm working with that one. Let's do yeah. it. Let's do it. Yeah. It's all, yeah. He was, he was a lot more on like the pop, the pop side before there really was pop side sort mm-hmm. of thing. And then, yeah, all the other ones I felt like were a little bit more 
a little bit more spiritual. So there's like sort of a fun blend there within the 60s yeah. and 70s. And then, and then when it comes to Jack Kirby and, and, and things like Doctor Strange, it's just LSD. And just right. like so much drugs. <laughs> well, Doctor Strange was Steve Ditko, and oh, Steve he was Ditko, very yeah. adamant that he never ever did drugs. Nobody um, believes that. I don't know if I believe that, but if true, awesome that he was able to. It was Kirby who um, got then into collage as part of his process? Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. Artistic you don't, collage, you don't do yeah. that much collage where acid or at least weed is not part of the equation. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about like comic book art at the time? You look, you do like Jim Steranko. He was doing all sorts of like psychedelic stuff. Yeah. And uh, you can probably even tell form. like in the sort of silver versus uh, bronze age comics when all of the comic book creators stop taking psychedelics and start doing coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when things got. That's when like you got Frank Miller's stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got to get back. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what even is the Bermuda Triangle, like in reality, it's a triangle. I'm well, a mustard I, I expert. Gathered, this smells yeah, like I mustard. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, basically, yeah, it's a triangle with vertices of Miami, San Juan, and uh, Bermuda. That was the original outline, but there have been other boundaries. Yeah. So that means the Bermuda Triangle is somewhere between 1.3 million and 3.9 million uh, square kilometers. So it's pretty big. Or half a million to one and a half million square miles. It also feels mean to the other places that it's named after Bermuda. You know, mm-hmm. like, why not the Miami Triangle? Yeah. Especially because one triangle had the Irish coast as one of its vertices. That's very far away. It's a very big triangle. That's a huge triangle. Yeah. That's like the whole. That's just the Atlantic Ocean at that point. That's the Atlantic Ocean, yeah. <laughs> um, at least the Northern Atlantic Ocean, yeah. Wow. And Tristan, can I say, that's the Atlantic Ocean is where the Titanic sank. Is true. So like, I think they're onto something here. Could be. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I know in my bones that ancient aliens gets to the Titanic <laughs> at some point. And I <laughs> am so here for when we get to talk about the Titanic. They thought they thought that they were able to skirt past the iceberg, but but they they hit, hit something and it but it wasn't the iceberg on but above the sea. So there was something under the water that they hit. Maybe an alien torpedo, perhaps. Oh, hmm. yeah. I can like fully see it in my head. And if it hasn't been done yet, ancient aliens, if you need some more writers, I, I got something here. Oh, yeah. Well, we know that aliens love Earth gold. So I'm sure mm-hmm. there was a lot of that on the Titanic where the rich people were. So, yeah. And so because the triangle has changed a bunch, which accidents happened in the triangle uh, changes depending upon which author is defining it. Sure. But um, there's been various attempts to try to explain what it is. I was like, am I going to go from least mundane to most crazy? But I think it's just like a, a group of different interpretations. Okay. One, there's been some interpretations that make think that the planes and uh, ships got off their tracks because uh, there's problems with uh, magnetism there, specifically compasses don't work in the Bermuda Triangle. Ah, so there's theorized okay. that there's like magnetic anomalies in the area that causes uh, people to get lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Such a thing has not been found in the Bermuda triangle, but uh, it is something that happens on Earth. Compasses do have natural variations related to the poles, and people in the public might not know that compasses do change naturally, but who would know that are people who regularly rely on compasses for navigational purposes. Right, like people on ships and Mm -hmm. planes and such. Yeah, that makes sense. But as far as anyone can tell, while this is an interesting theory, There's no evidence that the Bermuda Triangle has any magnetic anomalies within it. And it is like a regularly trafficked part of the ocean. So, um, yeah. Fair enough. This does remind me, and I cannot remember the name of this teen drama from when I was a kid. But there was a teen drama about a bunch of kids who are going to high school on a cruise ship. Are you thinking of the Sweet Life on Deck? Maybe this is in the 90s. So, yeah. Okay. So, the Sweet Life on Deck probably was the reboot of that. The, it was the gritty 2000s reboot, the of Sweet Life on, on Deck with uh, Zach and Cody. I will Disney say, Channel. I didn't watch it. My sister did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember there being one episode where the premise was that the ship went into the Bermuda Triangle and they all thought it was going to be dangerous, but oh, it wasn't. I'm going to look up really quickly if that ever happened on Sweet Life on Deck, really quickly. Do you know at all what I'm talking about? No, no. This feels. This feels like Disney Channel adjacent. It is. I'm doing a bit 
it is this it's the sequel to Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. If anyone knows the show I'm referring to is about like teenagers who go to school on a boat. Oh, you know, they went to the Bermuda Triangle on Sweet Life on Deck. It was their 16th birthday and the SS Tipton enters the Bermuda Triangle and an alternate reuniverse where Zack and Cody were separated at birth. So, of course, like supernatural stuff happens there. Oh, boy. This was a 90s show. So I think we're thinking about different shows. But obviously, if you have any boat centric show, the Bermuda Triangle is going to show up because it's was it the love boat? Was that what happened? Did they do that? I'm not that old. Come on. So another major theory is that the Gulf Stream uh, makes things confusing because essentially what this is, is a river within the ocean Mm -hmm. and it can throw people off. So it's this circulating river that starts in the Gulf of Mexico and flows through the Straits of Florida into the North Atlantic. And doing so, it can flow at a speed of about two meters a second or 6.6 feet per second. Thank you. So a ship might go missing because it sank or it crashed, but the debris would have just floated out to sea. Oh, it would have been carried out further because of this this big flowing current. Either the current would get them lost or more likely that if they crashed or if they sank, the debris would be shot out to sea so people who are looking for them might not be able to find the wreckage. Okay, all right. Uh, the other thing too is that as anybody knows, uh, I mean you're you're on the you're kind of close to the Atlantic coast of the United States. Yeah. Hurricanes are a thing. <laughs> Hurricanes do happen. That's correct. And as we know, hurricanes have cost a lot of lives and have cost lots of money and damage. And uh, as time goes forward, it's going to get a lot worse. And like Mm. a lot of ships have sank because of hurricane damage. And many hurricanes pass through the Bermuda Triangle as they kind of go across the eastern seaboard of the U.S. Hmm. And before weather satellites, it was very common for ships and airplanes to get caught in a hurricane without much warning. Yeah, they wouldn't have seen it coming. Mm-hmm. Because like, if you think about it, if you're just using like weather vanes and stuff like that, you wouldn't have a ton of warning of hurricanes. So the only real way to measure hurricanes was when we started having regular satellite imagery of the area. Gotcha. The other one that I think is very fun and I believe I've seen this in a documentary on the Bermuda Triangle would be interesting, which is methane hydrates. I was going to bring this up. Yes, I have heard this theory the most. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know how this stacks up against all the other theories. Yeah, so this theory is that there are these vents of methane hydrates, which is basically like a kind of natural gas on the continental shelf there, and that they will cause this effect where like a bunch of gas will bubble into the water. And if a ship is caught in this sort of bubbling mass of water, what would happen is, is that because the water gets a lot less dense, the ability for a ship to maintain buoyancy would disappear. And there have been experiments where they've done stuff like this with like mock boats and they the boats have like sank uh, because yeah. they just lost their ability to stay up. These eruptions are usually called mud volcanoes and huh. they can produce this sort of thing. This does sometimes happen. And we do have evidence that it is a thing that like if it were to happen, it could sink yeah. a ship. I've also heard that in regards to like, because it's not just ships, it's planes that go missing in, in the Bermuda Triangle. I've heard that if there's a lot of methane gas, like all at once, that can mess with some flight indication, like, and, you know, some some tools that make it so you're like, oh, I'm at this correct altitude. Oh, no, now I'm not. I should go lower. And then, I don't know, they would crash or something or it would do some mess with the engine. I don't know. Possibly. That's just what I remember hearing. Planes in the 1940s, especially in like 1945, for example, would be a lot less reliable than they are today, especially because they would have to, I don't know if you know if there was anything going on in 1945, but there might have been something that made them have to mass produce a bunch of slapdash airplanes for something. Hmm. But um, Interesting, interesting. I'll look into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, there haven't been hydrates like that in the Bermuda Triangle for about 15,000 years. Oh. So it's been So not recent. Yeah. No, um, it actually predates the first humans arriving in the American yeah, continent by about 5,000 years. Right. And all the planes and ships started disappearing in the 40s. Mm-hmm. So that's a... Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, that's not quite 15,000 years, is it? No, of course not. No, okay. Um, but then there, of course, there are more logical answers, which is... Um, I think there are there are only three answers that really make sense. One is obvious that the Bermuda Triangle is where Atlantis is and that mm. uh, the leftover technology from the continent of Atlantis ha- is somehow messing with the ships. 
Yep, 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 yep. Uh, there's actually a rock formation uh, called the Bimini Road, which is off of the Bahamas, uh, okay. specifically off the island of Bimini. And it's sort of a Yonaguni monument type thing where they people uh-huh. think it's a artificial structure, but it's actually just a natural formation. Oh, okay. Can I throw another theory sure. at you that I think is also plausible? So mm-hmm. you were talking about how there hasn't been you know, this like methane gas sort of stuff in the, in the Bermuda Triangle for 15,000 years. Wouldn't that then prove, Tristan, that if there's methane gas sinking all these ships and such, that it wasn't natural, but rather an alien base underwater where they're, let, they're letting out all their farts. It's just like they release their alien farts once a year and these, these ships and just happen to get caught in it. It's bad timing, I admit, but I think it's evidence. I mean, that's an explanation. The other thing, too, is that if it is a natural phenomenon and that many mud volcanoes are happening, the last time something like that happened mm-hmm. around the world, it caused one of the great mass extinction events. So, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it was rough times. But mm-hmm. yeah, kind of on the Atlantis thing. Um, farts. So the biggest person who uh, really believes in the Atlantis thing was a uh, psychic by the name of Edgar Case. Um, he also claimed that evidence for Atlantis would be found in 1968. All right. And I'm just going to go ahead and check my calendar yet again. <laughs> Have we discovered Atlantis yet? <laughs> All right. Nope. Still a little bit off. He thought we would have discovered Atlantis before we landed on the moon. That's mm-hmm. fun. And it turned out the opposite way. We're still looking, bud. You know, it's another wild thing kind of on that note. Do you know that we're going back to the moon like soon? Oh, like they, they cool. just did. They just tested the Artemis rocket uh, with like basically everything they would need for a manned mission, except they just put mannequins where the people are supposed to be. But in 2025, NASA is oh. supposed to be sending somebody to the moon. Just one guy, one person. I think it's a team. I think uh, one of the oh, things okay. they're supposed to be sending the first the first woman of color is going to go to the moon. That's that's the, awesome. that's the big thing they're going with. Um, the other thing, great. too, is that they're kind of in a race against um, the Shanghai Lunar Program, which is um, that China has been gearing up to send somebody to the moon for like a few years now. What do you mean we're in a race? We already went there. We won. What are you talking about? Yeah, but now we're now a race to do it again, I guess. I don't oh, know. OK. All um, right. But basically, there's there's some there. There might be some important ice on All the moon, right. uh, specifically of helium, which could be a big deal in fusion reactors. So, and also if we were to go to Mars, yeah. we would need to have a presence on the moon because uh, a ship sure. that could go to Mars Pit stop. Uh, would be too big to mm-hmm. build on earth. So, and people are going to have to, I mean, people are going to have to use the bathroom. So we're going to have mm-hmm. to make a pit stop before we get Turns to out you have to build a different type of ship if you're putting people in it for a year. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Anyways, that's one logical explanation is that this Bimini Road, which may be an episode in and of itself if it comes up again, but in my mind is um, it's another Konagumi monument. We just mm-hmm. did two of like things that people think are ancient yeah. archaeological sites, but are actually just natural things. Yeah, very specifically things that people think are pyramids, but are not pyramids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other one, obviously, is that a parallel universe exists in the Bermuda Triangle and that if you fly into it, the time and space warps and that these objects get sucked into a parallel universe. And now they're all hanging out with Amelia Earhart. Oh, cool. There was an episode of Voyager about that where Amelia Earhart was found like on the other side of the galaxy. So could be just be that that they're in the Delta Quadrant right now. Oh, that's awesome. Good mm-hmm. for them. I mean, ho- hopefully good. I haven't seen that episode, but I imagine it works out pretty good for everybody. Yeah. Awesome. And of course, the one that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, UFOs, that the aliens have an underwater base. That's right. In the Bermuda Triangle. And they forgot to pack their lactate and they're letting out all those farts. Like all people with uh, lactose intolerance. They actually- They will not listen to the instruction, (laughs) just don't eat cheese. They actually do have lactate. It's just sitting in a drawer and they just choose not to use it like the rest of us. Yeah, um, I'm not lactose intolerant, but I know for a fact that uh, from the people I've interacted with that there is no class of human beings on this planet who love dairy and cheese Mm -hmm. specifically than people who are lactose intolerant. It's the forbidden fruit. Trust it. I need it. Every lactose intolerant person I know is like, yes, this makes me violently ill every time I have it. So like, don't don't eat it. And they're like, no, no, I can't do that. No, I just, I just deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. All right. So we've got these possibilities then. Mm -hmm. You sort of, sort of, you know, said one of them wasn't true with the Bimini Road. But I don't know about these other two. What are we going to, I mean, 
it feels like we're pretty much wrapping up the episode then, right? We've we've sort of we've got UFOs, we've got alternate dimensions, alternate realities. Like, I don't know. I well, feel like we're pretty we, we're at a solution. Here's the thing, Scott. Uh, there are a few killjoys who have a few criticisms of the Aww. Bermuda Triangle theory. No. We're gonna have to figure out what they have to say. All right. Are we gonna do it right now, or can I have a very short musical interlude break? You can have one musical interlude. All right, I'll take it. Let's go. Man, that was a good musical interlude. Rod Kim nailed it. Crushed it it every time. You know, you just recently got a really cool job uh, writing music for TV. Yeah, I'm man. He's crushing it. I, I, I always. I mean, I text him a lot too. So him and his cat, they're going places. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're going great places. They're going straight to the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. But in a good way. Yeah. There's an adorable TikTok he made of uh, his grandmother using a sparkler for the first time and being Mm -hmm. very overwhelmed by the experience. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, enough about Rod Kim. Never. There's never enough about Rod Kim. But anyway. Uh, so so there's a few people who have some criticisms of the Bermuda Triangle, either uh, whether or not it's a real thing, whether or not people go missing in it at all, or whether this was just a thing that was made up to sell magazines in the 1960s. Mm, hmm. Okay. All right. I'm sort of seeing what you're saying now. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm open-minded. Let's hear what these critics have to say about this idea. All right. The first major critic of the Bermuda Triangle was a guy by the name of Larry Kush, who wrote a book called The Bermuda Triangle Mystery Solved in 1975, and basically classified all the things written about in the Gaddis article or writers afterwards as being either exaggerated, dubious, or unverifiable. Mm. He pointed out that there's a lot of inaccuracies and inconsistencies in different accounts and eyewitnesses who participated in the incidences of people going missing. Mm -hmm. And also, um, a lot of information was mysteriously not included. Okay. After this, we're going to get into some of the individual stories. But um, one example of a Bermuda Triangle story Mm -hmm. was uh, one of a ship, an ore carrier that uh, went missing without a trace in the Pacific Ocean. But what they don't mention is that it was like extremely overloaded with ore and that there were Ah. several other ships of the exact same class that went missing in different parts of the world also because they were overloaded with ore. Okay, same situation, different place. It's not Mm -hmm. in the triangle. It doesn't get as much attention. Yeah, exactly. And there's sort of a lot of different stories like that where they omit like uh, the planes getting lost or like, for example, that uh, that famous Flight 19 We'll get into it in a second, but there's a follow-up to that. But basically, he's concluded that the number of ships that go missing in the area are actually not significantly greater proportionally than any other part of the ocean, and that that part of the ocean is also a regular place of tropical cyclones. Mm. And so if they did go missing, it wouldn't be mysterious because it's sort of a rough part of the sea. Well, I think, and we've covered in a previous episode of this podcast, that aliens control the weather. So theory's not far off. Still could happen. Mm-hmm. And also many authors, when they wrote about mysterious things in Bermuda Triangle, talk about reports of the weather being calm, but then don't cross-reference with meteorological records of that day, showing that that is definitely not the case. Uh, <laughs> like maybe the person was being sarcastic. Like it's like pouring and like so windy and they're like, oh yeah, it's pretty calm out here, huh? Mm-hmm. And someone wrote it down like, oh, they said it was calm. Interesting. Yeah. There's also some cases of Bermuda Triangle stories where there's a bit of um, what they called as um, exaggerated or sloppy research. Basically, there's like sometimes where ships went missing, uh-huh. but then what doesn't make it into the account is that the ships eventually came back. <laughs> they found them. <laughs> yeah. So like, it, it's not that they went missing, they got lost. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, or um, sometimes the ship that went missing yeah. didn't have any people on it. And so it had to wait for it to turn up somewhere. Oh. There's like one case where one of the ships went missing in the Bermuda Triangle, got unmoored from the docks during a storm. And so oh. the ship just went into the water like it's so it's like yeah of course it's not gonna turn back up no one's steering it (laughs) yeah and also uh some just didn't happen like there's one account of a plane crash that happened in 1937 off daytona beach in front of hundreds of witnesses and no records of any local papers show any evidence that this happened (laughs) 
Huh. So he concludes that this is probably a manufactured mystery that was trying to purposely or unknowingly use this sort of sensationalism to sell things. What? Tristan, who would sensationalize something just to sell things? That German guy who was talking about the battle in Nuremberg or whatever, he came back and he's like, hey, I heard Mm -hmm. about this Bermuda Triangle. Well, yeah. And I mean... If that even is the case, at least it's not happening today right now where people are sensationalizing these historical things and talking about how there's aliens and whatnot in them oh. just to sell ads on a TV show, potentially. That'd be ridiculous and extremely that would be uh, wild, especially if it was on a channel that was about education, right? Like if it was like just to like make something ludicrous, like if the channel was literally called like the History Channel, you know what I Whoa. mean? Yeah, that, yeah. Would, uh, that but that wouldn't happen. That's that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. There's also a few other people who uh, uh, other people and other sources when investigated don't really show much of a connection between the Bermuda Triangle and a disproportionate amount of disappearances. One of the big ones that I think is interesting to talk about of people who would be motivated to do something if the Bermuda Triangle really was a dangerous place, which is insurance companies. Because huh. you think about it, if you were a ship that regularly went through the Bermuda Triangle and it was this place where ships actually did go missing regularly, their insurance rates would would go up, right? Yeah, you got to get that spooky insurance. Yeah, (laughs) you got to get your spooky insurance. Mm -hmm. In one UK documentary, they went to a marine insurance company or a marine insurance market called the Lloyds of London and basically asked if there was a lot of ships that had sunk in the Bermuda Triangle and their actuaries said, no, (laughs) no, (laughs) not, not really, no. And because of that, they don't charge higher premiums for ships that regularly go through it. Otherwise, they would because actuaries and insurance mm-hmm. companies, they don't care why something happens. They just care that it happens because right. they're trying to make money. Exactly. That's funny. <laughs> Another organization that might be involved with uh, ships and planes going missing off of the coast of the United States is the U.S. Coast Guard. Yeah, I was, so I was going to ask about that because it is sort of in there in a in part of their area. Mm-hmm. And it does seem that the amount of disappearances is pretty insignificant compared to the number of ships that go through it on a regular basis. That's the Coast Guard statement on it. Mm. Uh, so the Coast Guard have said officially that they are skeptical of the triangle and that they have many contradictions in their records about stuff written by the main triangle authors, as they're called. Ah. (laughs) Well, firsthand experience, I suppose. Mm -hmm. To kind of wrap it up, uh, to wrap up a lot of the criticisms, uh, there was a really great 1970s documentary called The Case of the Bermuda Triangle, which was done through Nova. What's Nova? Nova, it was, it was, it's a, it used to be anyways, a series of educational documentaries. Oh, okay. I know Nova as the shorthand to say Northern Virginia. Oh, no, not that. Okay. (laughs) Um, But the quote really sort of puts a button on the whole thing, which is that when we've gone back to the original sources and the people involved, the mystery evaporates. Science does not have to answer questions about the triangle because those questions were not valid in the first place. Ships and planes behave in the triangle the same way they behave everywhere else in the world. And they behave very well, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. They are very professional, these planes and ships. Yeah. So I'm going to go into some of the more high-profile individual stories of Bermuda Triangle ships and try to at least uh, give what the the cases of them at any given time. Mm -hmm. The first one that's been attributed is the HMS Atlanta, which disappeared with its entire crew after leaving Bermuda in 1880. Whoa, that's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. It went missing. People thought that it sunk in a storm because a storm crossed their route a few weeks after they set sail. That is pretty good reasoning. Yeah. Another reason might be is that not only did that happen, but apparently the crew of the HMS Atlanta was primarily inexperienced trainees. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Get caught up in a storm. Not a great scenario. Yeah. When it went missing, though, in 1880, it did get a bunch of attention. And so people were writing about it. And so because it was sort of a sensational story of the 1880s, when it came up again, when they were looking for things to attribute to the triangle, it was one of the first ones to come up and be attached. Mm, Makes sense. I mean, yeah, th- we've we've seen this sort of thing before where people will look through the history books to find something that fits what their current theory is trying exactly. to say. 
Yeah. Uh, another case of this would be uh, the USS Cyclops. And this is a story that I sort of explained earlier, but um, let me mm -hmm. see if this feels familiar. It was actually the single largest loss of life in the US naval history that was not directly related to combat. The Cyclops was a ore carrier that was full of manganese and it had uh -huh. one of its engines broken. Okay. And it went missing with its crew of 309 sometime around March of 1918 after leaving Barbados. Mm. There are different theories as to how it sank. Some say storm, some say it capsized, and some even suggest that it was might have been the Germans because in 1918, this was the period uh, World War I was still happening. And it mm. is possible that the Germans who were still doing unlimited or unrestricted submarine warfare were in the Atlantic trying to sink any enemy ships. And in April of the year before, in 1917, the United States joined World War I. <laughs> OK, so, yeah. Not implausible. Mm -hmm. The only thing that might throw a wrench into this is that in 1918, Germany was very much not in a good place at that point in the war. I don't know if they were still mm. doing a huge amount of submarine warfare at that point, but it could have been capsized by Germans. Yeah. It also just feels like, you know, there's that idea of if it's carrying a big amount of ore and one of the engines was out. Who knows? Maybe yeah, something, something bad could have happened. Something um, bad could have happened. Another thing that might also, um, and as I said earlier, might give some credence to this, is that it had two sister ships, the Proteus and the Nereus, that got lost in the North Atlantic during World War II. Both of those ships also were carrying heavy loads of metallic ore, similar to the one that the Cyclops was carrying. Mm. And in all three cases, they sank because they had structural failure issue due to being overloaded with denser cargo than it's designed for. There it is. There it is. Yeah. So well, these other ships sank and we know why they sank. And it could be that this other ship that was doing the same thing and was the same class of ship might have sank for the same reason. Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> Just three for three on these on these ships being they're carrying too much. Yeah, exactly. There's another ship called the Carolee Deering that went missing off of the Cape mm -hmm. in 1921 and then was found deserted in North Carolina. Interesting. It was a five-mast schooner and it was found hard aground and abandoned uh, near Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. You're a, you're a Carolinian, aren't you? I am. I'm a South Carolinian, though. Oh, so sorry. North sorry. I didn't want to uh, presume. Yeah, sorry. Hold on. My mortal enemies, the North Carolina folks, absolutely, with their vinegar-based barbecue, get out of here. Yeah, mustard or Mustard for me. To be honest, there is a cold war of barbecue sauce tension in our house because uh, Kelly is a big fan of the Kansas City smoky sweet barbecue sauce. And right. I am all about that Carolina mustard sauce. Oh, yeah. I like I mean, to be honest, I, I like I'm not picky. I like it all. <laughs> but I have to put up a front sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I found out this is the thing. Uh, marrying an American, I learned mm -hmm. Americans are extremely territorial about very specific types of food. Mm. Like if you are from a uh, place that does barbecue, you have extremely strong opinions about um, what barbecue yeah. is good. And uh, similar things if you are because my wife's from Chicago and they have very big right. uh, opinions about uh, what makes a proper hot dog and what makes a proper pizza. I was going to say the pizza. Yeah. Proper pizza pie over there. Yeah. Anyways, the FBI looked into this missing ship and they basically came to a few conclusions. Some of them, they thought it was piracy. Some thought it was communist sabotage or it was the work of rum runners because this was during Prohibition, which I feel like were like three of the most 1920s answers for what uh, I've grounded the ship. So you say that, but as soon as you said piracy, my terminally online brain was like... They were downloading episodes <laughs> of, uh, of True Blood without anybody's you, permission. You wouldn't download a ship, would you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the idea of domestic communist sabotage which is funny because in 1921, like two years before, three years before was the Palmer raids where basically every high profile anarchist and communist who was an immigrant was kicked out of the country. Mm -hmm. I only know that because my favorite historical figure in OG Emma Goldman was among them where she was kicked out of the country and sent to Russia, a country that didn't exist at that point because it was currently in civil war. <laughs> ah, <laughs> um, Yeah, America. But there was like a paranoia about communist sabotage or that communists were um, that didn't. This is the first Red Scare time. So people were scared that. Gotcha. And at that point, communists were associated with immigrants. So it was even more scary. 
And it was during the time of Prohibition and a lot of weird shenanigans on ships mm-hmm. happened. So if a ship was uh, ran aground and was empty, it might have something to do with the fact that it was maybe uh, smuggling liquor or something. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. That's why we keep finding uh, bottles of Canadian Club on the bottom of the Great Lakes because Canada did do Prohibition as well. Uh-huh. Some, some of the provinces, not all of them. But uh, we legalized medicinal whiskey. Oh. For medicinal purposes. And, sure. Uh, and, if and, your baby's teething. Yeah. Yeah. So we medicinally transported a fuckload of Canadian whiskey to the United States. And that's why Americans have a taste for Canadian whiskey. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, you can, Canada made bank off of prohibition in the U.S. Heck Yeah. <laughs> And like there was like a, I think it was like in New York recently, they found a house where they removed like a panel from the side and there was just tons and tons of bottles of Canadian club that were in like the panel of the house. I'm like, ah, wow. what a time, what a time. hundred years ago was fun. But yeah, just very 1920s things could have A hundred years ago was fun for some people. Yeah. <laughs> for a very if were, specific if you were group one of, of those, uh, by the way, a lot of those people sent out in the Pomerades were Jewish. Mm. If you're one of those people who were sent to like, you know, Russia during the middle of the Russian Civil War because you happened to have gone to a uh, communist rally or something in 1918. And yeah, not good. Mm-hmm. Another case was the Star Tiger and the Star Aerial. These were two planes that in 1948 went missing Mm -hmm. or specifically uh, one went missing in uh, 1948. The other one missing in 1949 on a flight from Bermuda to Kingston, which is the capital of Jamaica. Yeah. These are passenger planes. Oh, so they had people. Yeah. But the thing that breaks down when you hear about this is that uh, 1948, very early for passenger planes. Okay. And even flying from Bermuda to Kingston, these were planes that were flying at the very limits of their range. So Mm -hmm. even the slightest error or uh, problem with the equipment could have led to them crashing because this was like passenger flying was still like in yeah. its infancy at this point. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll give you that one. Mm-hmm. It was a particularly long flight for the Avro Tudor 4, which was the which was the class of aircraft. So it was like already a risky flight. Yeah, they were pushing it to the limits. Yeah. Another case, this one is on a lot of descriptions, but a Douglas DC-3 went missing in 1948 on a flight from San Juan to Miami. Okay. The Connemara 4 was a pleasure yacht that was found adrift in the uh, Atlantic south of Bermuda in 1955. The crew vanished while the yacht survived at sea during three hurricanes. Huh. And then the 1955 Atlantic hurricane season showed that during the time it was there, the, it would have been affected by gale force winds. Who's gale? Gale force winds. Gale Force 5. It's a superhero, I think. Oh, cool. Here's the thing, though, about this ship that was found with all of its crew missing. Mm-hmm. This is the ship I mentioned earlier that blew out to sea. <laughs> oh, it never had a crew. <laughs> yeah. On September 22nd, the Connemara 4 was in heavy mooring outside of Carlisle Bay. But because of the hurricane, the owner tried to put some additional ropes and anchors. But Essentially, the heavy winds uh, dragged the ship out to sea. Okay. <laughs> he just lost his ship. Lost the ship. I guess technically the crew didn't show up so because it didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> so like it is fair technically to say like- 100% the, of the crew went missing. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Also in 1963, a pair of uh, KC-135 Stratotanker aircraft collided midair and crashed into the Atlantic 300 miles west of Bermuda. Oh, that doesn't seem like a mysterious thing. That just seems like an error. Yeah. And, well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. and it did seem that one of the reasons why it mysteriously went missing was because no wreckage was found. But then another investigation happened where they did find the wreckage and it had just... Oh, they found it. Yeah, it was found in a bunch of seaweed. Well, that's the problem. What were, they had seaweed all up in their planes. That's why they crashed. Yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Yeah. So, all right. Look, Tristan, I get it. We're talking about all these things. You've got explanations. It seems like you've got explanations for everything, but... What about the thing that started it all? What about Flight 19? All right. If you can't solve that one, then I don't think this this case is closed. Yeah. So on that note, uh, another uh, group of people who were super interested in finding out what happened to Flight 19 was the Navy who lost 
their planes. That makes sense. Yeah, they would want to. They would want answers to that. They lost their guys. So they did a full investigation, and uh, they concluded that the flight leader, a guy by the name of Lieutenant Charles Taylor, made a mistake, and he saw some islands offshore and mistook them for the Florida Keys, and that his compass stopped working. So he was trying to land uh. using visual markers. What happened was using these uh, islands as the Florida Keys, he oriented himself thinking that way. But what in doing so steered out into the open ocean mm. and uh, probably ran out of fuel and crashed and crashed. But the Navy didn't want Taylor to uh, go down for losing five aircraft and 14 men. So they wrote the cause oh. as cause unknown uh, in order oh, to sort of save face no. for him. And now look what that look what happened. Look at the ripple effects. Well, that was a poor choice of words, I suppose. The ripple. So the getting lost is their working theory, but there wasn't quite enough evidence to conclusively say that that's what happened. So okay. in order to not besmirch his memory, they decided to go with cause unknown. OK, because they didn't want to assume incompetence if there wasn't enough evidence to to show it. Right. That's. Fair. That's a that's a much more fair way to to put it. Yeah. yeah. But it does also come to the thing that um, mysteries are not necessarily aliens. They don't yeah. have to be. They can be other things. That is true. They can just be some, you know, some stuff that's I think it's like a neat way to like make all of these things connected when they're they all seem completely disconnected. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're to take any batch of water, especially an area like the Bermuda Triangle, where there's a lot of naval traffic mm -hmm. and you just document every single ship that goes missing, because you can imagine a lot of planes, as we learned with Malaysia Airlines, planes and ships go missing. And when they do, they're hard to find afterwards, yeah. especially in the days before black boxes and stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I found another little bit, which is that in 2013, there was a study from the Worldwide Fund for Nature, where they decided to find the most dangerous shipping waters in the world. And they outlined 10 different areas of the water that were dangerous. All right. Where does the Bermuda Triangle? rank on that top 10 it's not on it <laughs> oh oh it's but it's close i uh, know it, it, it actually all studies that show the amount of ships and boats that go missing compared to the amount of traffic that goes through that region it's actually uh -huh. pretty normal okay and also as i mentioned locating aircraft and ships that get lost at sea is difficult because there are many ships and airplanes that have gone missing amelia Earhart, yeah. for example yeah for very logical reasons that don't necessarily make them unexplainable or paranormal, just that, you know, the ocean is what we like to call in the business um, very, very big. It's pretty big. Yeah. And that's sometimes true. it's hard to find stuff because also it's water. So things that crash into it tend to sink to the bottom of it. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is the ocean. I've heard it's not just big. It's also deep mm -hmm. in, in places anyway. Yeah, it was all like the Titanic. We know what happened to the Titanic. And it wasn't found until like until James Cameron wanted to make a movie about it. And it's like, yeah, it was like the 80s or something like that. The 80s or the 90s when they first found the Titanic. James Cameron single handedly built a submarine and found it. Uh, Is that true? No, that's not true. Uh -huh. But he was a huge, but he did do that. He did. He was a big fan. This episode is brought to you by James Cameron. You remember that movie from 2009 with the blue people? We don't and no one else does, but we're getting five more of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> Avatar. It's going to be a thing. Whether you like it or not, we're, we're, we're just getting it. them. They're happening. They're happening. The, the movie literally no human being asked for is it's happening. It's out of five our hands. More times. It's, it's already happened. Like there's too much momentum. Not even James Cameron can stop it. It is wild that it seems like those movies are happening on just like the sheer force of will of James Cameron alone. Yeah. It's like the um, the epitome of that tweet where it's like nobody, nobody in the entire universe. James Cameron, I'm going to make five more Avatar movies. Let's do it. Luckily, though, James Cameron typically hits. Yeah. So I mean, the next one's going to be underwater. So that's cool. Yeah, I'll probably watch it. Yeah, I'll watch I'm, it. I'm old enough for weed now, so I definitely think it'll be a lot more entertaining than it was in 2009 when I watched it on Christmas yeah. in New Orleans. Yeah, that's true. Is it weird to have nostalgia for Avatar? I don't know if I have nostalgia. I don't for think Avatar. I have nostalgia for Avatar because even though I saw it, I 
don't remember a single thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, the silence. The silence from Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. Where once you stop looking at it directly, you forget that it existed. Yeah. Everyone walked out of the theater for uh, Avatar with markings on their arms of like how many times they've seen it. Like I th- I, I keep going. It sounds empty and I just yeah, keep that's like, so weird. I have like 16 markings on my arms. Yeah. The other thing that um, that the Bermuda Triangle shows, and this is kind of sort of at the core of the entire ancient astronaut theory, and that is mysteries in the paranormal have always been very popular and furthermore, very profitable. Mm. There has been a vast amount of stuff that has come out on the paranormal and topics like the Bermuda Triangle, and that oftentimes, in order to make it more appealing, a lot of times it's very much in favor of the paranormal topic, often going into misleading or inaccurate stuff to keep promoting it and marketers will keep selling it that way because it's more sensational, it's more sexy. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that's all the way back to those pulps, baby. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the the well thought out rebuttal of the Bermuda Triangle mm-hmm. is not nearly going to sell as well as the 23 scandalous books about the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. Right. And that's why we'll never be as popular as ancient aliens. <laughs> I fear you might be right. I fear that because we we bring facts and logic, hashtag, um, boy, that was like the most millennial thing I've ever Mm -hmm. said in my whole life. My whole body just seized up as if I was saying it. Yeah, I'm just going to stop mid-sentence. I don't I agree. I don't think we'll ever be as popular as ancient aliens, but people could help us. I mean, if you think about it, we are 50 some episodes deep. Yeah. This 50 some episodes represents hours and hours and hours of work mm-hmm. poured into it between the two of us. Yeah. To cover about what is at this point, maybe like three or four hours of footage that Ancient Aliens was able to just make up. <laughs> they were just able to like make it up. They point cameras at David Childress and George Sigalos and they just say, I don't know, man, just talk. Just say something. Say something something wild. Yeah. And they do. And then they turn it into a million episodes of a TV show. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that is the quote unquote mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. The mystery is that it pays well when you make up mysteries. It is true. Maybe we should start lying more on this show. (laughs) I mean, I get accused of it quite often, so. (laughs) That's true. I remember when I said earlier that James Cameron single-handedly found the Titanic so he can make a movie about it. Yeah, I I don't think that was true, but it's more it's more exciting that way, isn't Mm -hmm. it? It's more. Then he made a movie about it. Yeah, he made a movie about it. That's the only reason why he found it is to best best to best Titanic joke I've seen recently is that um, there was enough room on the like piece of wood for both. Rose and Jack yeah. to uh, to write on, but he found out that Rose was 25, so he decided to sink into <laughs> Oh, no! On that note, hey, everyone, we probably won't ever be as popular as the History Channel show Ancient Aliens, but you can certainly help us get there mm-hmm. if you want to by, number one, following us over at Probs Not Aliens on Twitter. That's our handle, Probs Not Aliens, where you can send in your corrections, your funny jokes, your we should have like prompts at the end of the episode to be like this is what people should tweet at us about this week yes the corrections i i am gearing up to make a corrections episode uh i'm thinking of making it like our kind of end of the year special yeah if you've got them i i'm literally just going to do a web scrape of every mention of our twitter account because i feel like that's a good way to start excellent so do go forth and do that go forth and do that and tell us what food that you are passionate about in your neck of the woods. That way we talked about barbecue and pizza and such. Just what 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 food your region is weirdly tribal about. Yeah. Tell us that over on Twitter at Probs Not Aliens. That'd be great. Tristan, you have 
You do other things outside of the show, which I'm constantly impressed by that you can find the time to do that. What do you Me do? Me too, honestly. I'm yeah. like, wait, how did, I, how did all that happen? Okay. <laughs> what do you do and where and why? My first major project is that I am turning a small flesh potato into a person. Excellent. He's growing teeth right now, so he's very upset with everything. You need the Canadian whiskey for that. Yeah, yeah. That is a joke. Don't give your kids whiskey. I'm sorry. I have to say it. Yeah, don't do that. That's bad. But I am a YouTuber. I make YouTube content on the YouTube channel Step Back and on Nebula, where I yeah. talk about history and specifically about history that is important stuff to know to make sense of stuff going on today. That's the best elevator pitch I can think of. Wow, for, that's pretty good. Write that uh, down. Channel. Yeah. Uh, I actually, as of recording this, I have a video coming out tomorrow on 9-11 Truthers. Uh, so, you know, channeling that it's probably not aliens energy into a conspiracy yeah. theory that probably doesn't fit unless there's a really good ancient aliens episode coming oh, up <laughs> that no. aliens did 9-11. <laughs> I don't even know if they would go that far, but I wouldn't, I don't know. Maybe in the future. <laughs> oh boy. But Scott. Yes. I've also heard that you frantically yeah. put together uh, uh -huh. content as well. Oh my gosh. What do you do? Yeah, I've been trying out so many new things over on my channel. So uh, I have a YouTube channel called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. And normally I do like really well written. I was going to like compliment myself there. I do like very long form written um, video essays about media, specifically like nerdy stuff, comics, cartoons, superheroes, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. I've been trying to do things like reaction content, talking about like Scooby-Doo news. There's like a, a secret Scooby-Doo movie that people brought to life and is probably never going to come out. So that's like sort of exciting and also sad. And I don't know, I just I've just been getting, you know, hanging out on live streams with my friends reacting to like weird old media that we're either nostalgic about or that we don't remember fondly at all. And we're just ha hanging out and having a good time. I'm like trying new things. And if you like it, please let me know because mm -hmm. it's very new and it's very different. And I'm still going to do the long form video essay stuff. I still his love biggest stuff. artistic outlet and sync. He is no. the, he, he he runs a thing called NSYNC. It's a That's project. That's not true. I've gotten those jokes before. Okay. And yeah, if you want to continue to help us grow this show, then please leave us a nice review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can review stuff. I think Spotify and whatnot. Five stars really does help us grow. And I would love to shout out some specific names here. So thank you to the following people for writing five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to parentheses, War God. Thank you to Amazing Arcaden. Thank you to DK Zilke. And thank you to, I like this one a lot. It's reviewer, but they definitely m missed an E. So it's like reviewer 7.8. Thank you to all those people uh, for writing reviews and for telling your friends, because those are like the two super important things that you can do uh, mm -hmm. to help this show grow. Why is that, Tristan? Well, um, podcasts, unlike YouTube, don't have algorithms to do your marketing for you. And so the best way to uh, help any podcast that you enjoy is word of mouth. So if you tell friends who would like this show, that is how we grow and build this community of good-natured skeptics yeah. trying to correct the record and then correcting the correcting of the record uh -huh. and keep that going. And it really, really helps us out because... We like doing this show. We might yeah. make a doing this show and we would love for it to keep going. And I know by the time you're you're listening to this, we may have missed a couple of weeks. That's not on purpose. We're still recording stuff. It's just some sort of complicated stuff behind the scenes. But we're still making this show and we're having fun doing it. And now we have like a, a built up sort of a backlog sort of on accident. And a really great place where you can send people to listen to this show and find links to wherever they can is over at a very simple website, probsnotaliens.com got links to iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else you could think to listen to the show, including just an RSS feed that you can plug into your favorite podcast app if you want to do it manually, old school style. So go share that. It's the best thing. It's the it best is. It thing. It is the best thing it's the in best the thing. universe, yes. I would say that. Well, I think that's going to be it. So until next time, my name is Scott Nicewander. My name is Justin Johnson. And remember, the truth is out there. Probably.
I was going to do the bubbly thing. And I, I thought think I you were going to do. I think I did that before. We can't do it twice. I only have like 12 jokes. <laughs>